0: Yeah
1: Yeah Yeah
0: You're welcome back to another episode of the Bitch, Mob, E&T. We have special guest today, Jai here, Blanton. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great, boss. I can't complain. How are you?
0: I'm good. No complaints over here. Blessed, man. Uh, this is not the third person that we have from UNH, so we might as well. This might be a UNH podcast. We just didn't know it.
1: <laughs> Go Chargers.
0: So New Haven, since we already I mentioned that, why New Haven? How would you go about choosing New Haven?
1: Um, so my junior year, the track coach had reached out to me and told me that they were very interested in me coming to the school to compete. Um, and at that point, I was like, OK, this is another track offer, another track looking at me. And I was dead set on playing college football. So my whole mindset was how can I intertwine track into football? How can I intertwine my being recruited for track into football? Um, because at that point I hadn't got the opportunity to play much varsity ball. I had very little tape. Um, so I pretty much held out until my senior year. Um, and then I had a really, really good senior year um, and the offers started to come in. Um, and then that's how I ended up actually looking at the University of Maryland. Um, but that coach got fired, and I was told five years of special teams, and that's just something I wasn't too interested in. I was like, hey, I want to play a side of the ball. Um, And Then I called back uh, Coach LeShore, who was actually at the University of New Haven at the time, and I was like, hey, you still got that offer on the table? Um, And then I called the coach at the time, Coach Ross, um, and he said he'd still be interested in me in playing football. He ended up leaving for Central, so then I had to talk to the new coach, Coach Pence, um they both said things that I liked. Coach Pence had actually coached Coach LaShore the track coach, so they had a great working relationship. Um, they talked about the money, they talked about how I would dedicate my time, the lifts, the practices. Um, they sat down with my parents, they came to my house. Um, they talked to me about the major, the type of classes, and from there I was just like, Yeah, I love it. Let's do it. I'm I'm all in.
0: So, how was that for you being a two-sport athlete? You know, we got players like Beyonce Sanders and Bo Jackson were those type of players that you, you know you looked up to. Being a two sport athlete yourself,
1: um, definitely. Um, but for me, it was always not that like I didn't like track, but I always used track as a vehicle for football. And um, I didn't like the offseason of either sport. So like the offseason of football was a lot of lifting, and that just wasn't my thing. I was like, yeah, I'm not trying to get to be 200 pounds and be 190 and just lift all the time but I also didn't like the cross country running miles for tracks it was like they were the perfect combination of the sport to where like I could do the parts of the sport that I liked, both in season aspects um but yeah in college it definitely it definitely was rough it was a lot more it was a lot more stringent on my body and I don't know I don't necessarily know if anyone can compare you for how much you have to do with that happening, so you mentioned stringent your
0: body. We talked about a little bit earlier. You could share what our I... listeners, you college, because I was doing my research. You went to college, football, and track, but you didn't finish off in football. What happened with football?
1: Um, so the end of my freshman year, our conference championship and um, track, um, I was having a really good freshman year. Um, I got athletes a week a few times. And... I tore my quad off the bone, Um, it's pretty scary actually, um, because it felt like a cramp. Um, But then I knew that when I fell and then I saw all the black and blue on my leg and then a trainer came over and like said some choice words, I was like, oh gosh, like this isn't good. So me being like who I was, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna be out for eight, nine months. Like I'm not doing that. Like I'm not taking the surgery. Like, if they're saying that, because I tore the rectus femoris and vastus lateralis, um, they were like, if you can heal, like, the muscle belly, which was in the middle, then you won't need the surgery. I'm like, all right, bet. I'll go to rehab three, four times a week. Like, I could do that, no problem. Um, but what they didn't tell me is the scar tissue would be such a big issue. And that if that scar tissue tore, it'd be like having the injury all over which continued to happen throughout that off season because I tore <laughs> it May 1st and my football season was supposed to start in August. So I knew that I wasn't going to be able to play football that year, so I got a medical redshirt. shirt. Um, then my sophomore season with track, um, I was trying to come back. I wasn't able to run well at all. I mean, I was running like girls times, like 11 9s in the 100, running like 23s in the 200 like I I was like, wow, what is going on? Like, it was very depressing. Um, had to talk to a sports psychologist because I was like, I don't understand why they're telling me, like, I'm somewhat healed. I'm at 80%, but I'm not able to run. Um, so I came back. So it was about to be my, salt, my junior year of football. And the coach was like, hey, are, are you ready? I'm like, I did some damage again, track season, in the spring. I don't, I don't know if I can cut and stuff like that. So like, well, we can't give you another medical red shirt. And I was like, coach, I I don't think that I'm like going to be able to to, to play at the level that you want me to play at. I I can try. So I did the camp and all that kind of stuff. And I just, when I was cutting, my leg was dead. Um, Then I ended up tearing my hamstring. So then I was just like, you know what? Um, I I think this whole two sport thing is not working because I was doing two practices in the spring. in the fall, I was only doing football. I was doing two sets of lifts. It was just a lot. Um, and I, I just don't think my body um, adjusted well. Um, so yeah, it, it just was a lot of injuries. My senior year, I even got hurt too. So it was just one of those things where it's just like, uh, I'm, I'm tired. Like my body is really beat up. Like it's easy to come back from the first injury. You know, you're determined to come back from the second, third and fourth. That's when you just start like, hey, when is it time to hang up the cleats? When is it time to hang up the spikes?
0: with all that happening, injury after injury after injury, what do you mention a sports psychiatrist? What did you do to maintain like your mental health? Because I know you mentioned depression. I know it could be very frustrating back to back, especially which we'll get into your illustrious high school career and then to go to college and be riddled by injury.
1: Um, I think my family, my support system, um, my mother and father were big on um, keeping me grounded. But not only that, just the belief and faith in God, Um, my parents and my grandparents always told me like, you know, God gives his toughest battles to his strongest troops. And while you're going through it, that doesn't sound the best. Um, But you really do have to look into your faith with that kind of thing, because it was rough. I'm not even going to lie. There was plenty of nights where you stay up like you're crying and you're just thinking because everyone thinks like, hey, a scholarship in four years, a scholarship is not four years. You know a scholarship is a year to year deal they can they can pull that thing at any point, and you're just like, "Hey, I knew who I was coming out of high school. Who am I now?" or like I was running a four three eight. I wasn't a four three eight by the time I graduated. I was like a four, four, five, four, five, you know what I mean? like my speed had diminished significantly because the whole right side of my body was torn at some point. Um, so it was just like, I would say a lot of prayer, a lot of family um and finding some other things um, outside of sports and finding out my actual, who I was besides Jair Blanton, the athlete. Um, I had to find out who just Jair Blanton was in general. And that, that helped me um, tremendously.
0: That's the that's faith in God and you know, finding out who you are because sports, as much as we love it, that's not what, you know, that's what we do. It's not who we are. So that's vital. And shout out to you having a support system a lot of people don't have that type of support system and like something that comes to mind is it's old news, but I think if Shikari Richardson had like the family background that you have and the family support system you have and that faith in God, things I think would have went a little different, you know, with how everything losing your mom, of course, I can't imagine.
1: Yeah. I, I couldn't imagine that whatsoever. I mean, I, yeah, yeah.
0: So I know it's tough, but that's where, again, where you say it, it doesn't make sense to the carnal mind, but obviously I think in that situation, if there was a, a strong faith system, God would have been able to help get through that, that tough time. You mentioned your parents, right? So you had, I believe your mom ran at LSU, your pops ran at Lincoln. We all knew my class and other class. We all knew your pops. We always saw them helping out people play uh, running track even at Bethany helping out with the basketball team. What was that like growing up having two parents that were track stars and really was about that life?
1: Uh, it, it was interesting. Um, yeah, my, uh, my parents were really, really good track athletes, um, especially my mom. Like my dad was good, but like my mom was like all world. Um, and I guess it was interesting to see because I got traits from both of them. My dad was a short sprinter and my mom was more middle distance. So like that four, eight range was our sweet spot. Um, I was fast. So I I definitely followed in the footsteps of my dad but I had more endurance and stamina than my dad. And I got that from my mom. So I think the biggest thing for a lot of track coaches was they were trying to figure out what to do with me. Um, In high school, I ran a lot of 400s and I did that really well. Um, But towards my junior and senior year, we started playing because we wanted to win conference and states. So they started playing with the points, and they were like, "Hey, we're going to put him in the 55, and we're going to put him in the 100." Um, and as I started to have success with that, they were like, "Wait, he has a range where he can go from 55 to 400. What do we do?" So I think the, the battling started to happen with my coaches between that long sprinter, short sprinter. Um, so I think that was interesting. Um, my parents didn't even necessarily agree on it. Um, They both knew I could run the 400, and they thought if I had the heart for the hurt for the 400, I would have been the best at the 400. Um, But my favorite event was the two, because I thought the 100 was too short, and I thought the 400 was too long. So I loved the two because it was like the perfect mix of both. Um, So I was kind of stubborn, set on I'm a 200-meter runner, I'm a 200-meter runner, I'm a 200-meter runner. Um, My parents were like, he's a four. My dad was like, "Ah, he might be a 200-meter runner, but he can run good fours. So it was interesting. They never, they never they never, micromanaged the coaches. They always let the coaches do what they wanted to, even when they didn't necessarily always agree with the coaches. They kind of just were like, hey, these are your coaches. We're not going to meddle. And them both being coaches, I know that had to be harder for them. Um, but, you know, no one ever really wants to listen to mom and dad when they're coaching them, even though mom and dad may have a really good set of tools in my case. Um, but, yeah, they, they, they pretty much just let it happen. If something egregious happened, then, okay, they would step in. Um, but like helping me with starts and stuff, of course, my dad would help me with that. Cause I mean, he was a beast at getting out the blocks.
0: That that's key. Um, I know from coaching a little basketball, parents can be meddling and can involve themselves. And like you said, sometimes they technically have the right to, because they have very good history and they know what they are talking about. But shout out to them for letting you be able to grow into your and figure out the whole thing by yourself with the difference. So for our listeners, you mentioned, you know, you got the short sprinter, you kind of got the longer sprinter. What is the biggest difference between running a hundred and running a 400?
1: So um, I guess the biggest difference between 100 and 400, everybody, like most people assume that you're sprinting the whole time at a hundred. Your first 30 meters of any race is free energy, right? So you're really not using any energy in that that race. But because the race is 100 meters, the biggest difference with the 100 and the 400 is how long can you hold off your deceleration, right? So there's people who are really fast, they get off the blocks really well, and they're winning for 60 meters of the race. And those people are dominant indoors. But when it comes to outdoors, their deceleration happens at 60, so they get eaten up at the end of the race. So for me, I started coming on towards the end of the race. Because my background of having more speed endurance than just pure quickness and speed, I started coming towards the end of the race. So I would make up my, my distance at the end of races, which to me, I felt like the 100 was too short for me to really do that. So I wasn't the biggest fan. Um, but the 400, I liked it because, like I said, those first 30 meters were free energy. And then I was coasting off the turn for the next 100, 120. And then I would just come off the turn with the last 150 and say, hey, whatever I got is what I got. If I catch them, I catch him. If I don't, I don't. So that was beneficial for me. Um, It did hurt because those last hundred meters is all heart and glory. And that's where the stands generally is. So you start hearing the people yelling and screaming and you're just like, ah, how, how, how much further can I go? Um, But yeah, the biggest difference is the 100. you got to hold off your deceleration. Whereas the 400, you got to play with it and whatever you're, because people don't know you watch film for track. So like, when you start looking at other people in the races, they're like, hey, this person decelerates, this person dies here at this race, you got to make your plan based off of what you're doing. If you're the one seed, if you're the last seed, you you got to go because like, if you're the last seed, you got to start all the way out and just go and just let everybody catch you You got nothing to lose. But if you're the one seed, now you got to kind of look at like, hey, this person can catch me if I run this type of race, this person can do this and that. So. It's, uh, it's more strategic for the, the, the 400. The more laps you run, the more strategic it is. That's really what it is.
0: So with mentioning, I know I ran track. I hated it because they only put me at 1,600, and I was, yeah. not, I was not with running, running that much. You mentioned strategy. What was training like for track? Because you just mentioned film. I know, again, they weren't as experienced, but the people that were teaching me track, it was just running. We didn't, we didn't learn about really, you know, making sure you getting off the track quick, making sure you got the right stance. It was just, hey, just run as fast as you can. You mentioned, hey, with laps, you're going to want to each lap. You want to see how, how you do it. What was training like for track for you? Like, what was the big things that you focused on? I'm pretty sure technique and things of that nature. What was it like for you?
1: So. Depending on what part of my career I was in, it it changed. Um, some coaches saw me more as a long sprinter. Some coaches saw me I was a short sprinter. So my training was different. Um, when I was short, when I was a short sprinter, I did a lot of one fifties, two hundreds, a lot of ladder work, a lot of wickets, um, and a lot of techniques, a lot of starts and stuff like that. Because your longest race in that when you're a short sprinter is two hundred meters, and pretty much. You, you do some 300s, you do some 400s, so you have the stamina to do that long race, but you're not really training much. When you're a long sprinter, um, the training was a lot different. 300s, 350s, 150s. Um, a lot of stuff to work on your speed, but a lot of stuff to get your endurance because 400 is a different beast. Like, I, I've never run miles competitively and all that kind of stuff, but I don't think any race is harder than the 400 because it's that mix of, you're sprinting the whole time, but you're not sprinting the whole time. And you're running fast enough to where you can't think, but you're running slow enough to where you have to be strategic, right? So I, I think that that training was a lot different. It was a lot harder. Um, but as far as like film and stuff, film was interesting because you would watch like two seconds of just to get out the blocks, and you're seeing like, hey, your arm is here. It's too high. And everything was pretty much like being like a plane, like a plane taken off the ground. You start on a runway and then you start to ascend and accelerate. So watching your, your start was a, big, was a big part of track. Um, and then watching the other competition and watching their film, what they do, their tendencies, um, how you have to run against what they do. I guess that was the biggest, um, most interesting thing. And, and form, obviously, you know, for me, I had a lot of back kick. So I would leave, my chest would be over my center of gravity a lot. So coaches would want me to fix that and not have as much back kick. Because the quick ground reaction time, the quicker your foot hits the ground and bounces back up, the faster you're going. When you have back kick, you're not going as fast. So that's actually ended up how I ended up tearing my quad too, was how much back kick how much back kick I've had. Cause I was running for 18, 19 years with that much back kick. Eventually the leg just gave out.
0: Wow, that makes that makes sense there. And again, uh, for our listeners, I'm pretty sure this is news. Some of this is news to me. I I knew track had a lot of technique to it and difficulty. I didn't know film was watched. I didn't know things in nature, like you said, 18, 19 years of doing kickback, it catches up to you. So track, especially, and you we were just talking about this on the show, like, so Tyreek Hill, I don't know if you heard it, he basically said his one Super Bowl would be equal to about 10 gold medals concerning Usain Bolt. And I'm like, ah, I know, I know football is hard. I know football is tough but Usain be training year after year after year after year for that one race for the hundred meter. He might do a relay. I was like, ah, I don't know. I feel track is much harder than people give credit for. I really do, especially, especially the Olympics.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, I could see his argument of how hard it is, because I play football, I understand how hard it is to win a championship in football. But imagine take imagine having four years in between your championships. So imagine Tyreek Hill from 2015 to 2019, right? And telling him that that's his window for a championship. And he has to stay at the Tyreek Hill level from then till 2019. I just, to me, that's just a, that's a different beast, different animal. Like, I mean, let's just say this 2021 now. I don't think Tyree Kill is going to be Tyree Kill in 2025. That's just real. You know what I'm saying? So I, I, four years is a lot of time to have to keep at the top of your game and to be the fastest person in the world. And I hear that all the time on the, oh, he's got world-class speed in football. And it's just like, y'all have to chill with that. Like, look at when DK Metcalf came up against those track athletes. Yeah, he ran well, but he was dead last right? I mean, there's a difference between world-class speed and football speed. You could be football fast, but you step on the track, it's a whole different beast.
0: Yeah, seeing DK do that again, it was just like, I think people really got to start putting some respect on track name. Like, It's not as simple as just, hey, you can run fast. We know a lot of people that run fast in the street, race me right now, get on the track, it's something completely, completely different. We see the fastest people we all think of hop on that track. And it's a nice try, DK. But right,
1: right. Stick to football.
0: Yeah, that's not it. So we got sectional record with the four by 100 relay team you have you have a state sectional record, you rank second in 100 meters in West Orange High School history, Essence County Football Hall of Fame scholar athlete award. You did your thing in track, you did your thing in football, especially that senior year. Going into high school, could you have imagined all of the success that you acquired from football and in track?
1: I mean, I, I was always under the mindset that I was going to be successful um, to the level that I was. No, not necessarily, um, but I mean, my, my dad loves to tell the story, but I, I had one of his ties that he had fell in the back of his closet that was like red and white. Cause I swear I was gonna be an Ohio State Buckeye. And I like, I put it in like a case in my room and I told him I was gonna wear that when I accepted my Heisman in college. So like, I, like, I just knew I was gonna go to Ohio State. I knew I was gonna be a Heisman winner. I knew I was gonna do X, Y, and Z. So, I mean, I, I had the mindset of being successful but I didn't know that it was gonna be the way that I was especially my senior year. Um, I had like a big coming out party senior year. Um, he had a bunch of different records and different things like that. But as far as like just going out and, and actually executing, nah, I don't think I could have imagined, um, what I did.
0: Yeah. Senior year for you. I mean, we would take up probably half the show going down all the accomplishments. Senior year was pardon Tom. It was yo, here Planting is here. And if y'all didn't know, now you know. I was reading up on it. Like, Dang, this, this, this record. I'm like, that's dope, your last year high school. That's a good way to go out. A lot of people do well those first three years. And the seniors, it's a tough year. The team doesn't do well. They don't do well. They get injured. So that was a good way to come out for your senior year. With track. So I know a couple of track athletes. A couple of people that competed in the Olympics and whatnot. And talking to them and hearing just the struggle for college athletes and once they go pro on the financial act, financial side, what do you think could be done to kind of help out, like, the sport of track? Because I know a lot of college athletes, they have to actually have jobs, like, literally have to have jobs, which obviously prevents them from training. Sometimes then they have to have a job to pay for training, they're on their feet constantly. The, you have to do well in Olympics so you can get some advertisement money. You don't really get paid to do it. What could be done, you think, to help out the sport of track?
1: Um, as a track athlete, you're not going to sign those contracts um, like you do with other sports. They can't say, like, hey, you're going to get this three- or five-year deal for X amount of money just because – humans were not designed to run that fast for that long right and track is i always tell people people always say like oh which sport was harder on your body track or football i always tell people track because football if a bone breaks or something tears you can get it repaired or it will heal with track you have a lot of soft tissue injuries where they're not necessarily like full ruptures or full tears or full whatever right but they linger so like a a a Level three strain or a level two strain may not be that bad in another sport, but for track, you can't run your full speed, but you're still expected to run. And one injury in track can change the course of your entire career. So you're not going to get those long those long contracts because they know it's a fickle sport, and they know. Like I mean, look at Shikari, for instance. She went from being close to breaking the American record to now people are questioning whether or not she's even going to make the next Olympic team just because her, her, her running is not going as well. And people rise and people fall really quickly in track. It's not, it's not an easy sport to stick on top. Like, like we said, those four years in between the Olympics. Um, but I think the best thing to help would be, I guess, more TV time on prime channels because that would allow more money to the IAAF, which does their Diamond League series. And if you win that, you get about a million dollars. And there's different price ranges for different um levels that you finish first second and third but i don't know if there's going to be much more money in track because false starts take up a lot of time tv time um that's like three four hours of a broadcast which commercials and all that kind of stuff people aren't going to pay for so track isn't the the sexy sport that you're going to see on tv it's not going to be the thing that most people are going to watch because once the sprints are over no one really cares sometimes about field events and distance races and that's just the brute reality of track um I don't know if there's gonna be much money in it unless you have more companies that are willing to give more sponsorships and things of that nature.
0: Yeah, I just think it's tough. You said all facts, it's just like the amount of training that they have to do and staying at that peak level in shape. It's you gotta obviously love the sports because you look at all these other sports, baseball, 10-year, four hundred million dollar contract basketball, football, these are generational changing contracts, but track athletes are putting in just as much, if not more work and they don't see, they don't reap the benefits from it really, financially that is. And it's like, it kind of reminds me like women's basketball. They don't really see the the financial benefits of their hard work and everything that they're putting in. And it always just, to me, we gotta figure out a way somehow to track women's women's sports in general to be able to pay these athletes, like you mentioned the the wear and body. The fact that, for example, WNBA, these women are playing 26, 30 games over here in America and then gotta go to China or Portugal or whatever to really make bread. They get a month or two months off. To me, that's not, that's not going to work for these athletes at some point. That's going to hurt, you know, obviously their bodies in the long term. So, criminal justice forensic psychology major. How did you go about choosing that major and why did you want to go into that field?
1: Um, so, for me, um, I always knew that I wanted to be in a a federal agent growing up, um, it was. I know it's a weird path and everything. Like, of course, you want to be an NFL, you want to be into sports. But I always knew like my real job. I wanted to be a federal agent. I was a little. I uh, said I wanted to be a Power Ranger, um, and this was the closest thing to being a Power Ranger. Um, so um, I decided to to uh, criminal justice, investigative services, and forensic psych.
0: How was that like? Uh, taking that while at school, like was it a stringent? Did you have to go through a lot of hard work? You know, some majors, obviously they say are harder than others. It's a lot more draining on the body and mentally. How was it, especially doing the sport and going through these injuries, having to still keep your grades up to par? Um, so I always knew
1: the, the, the school aspect was more important than anything with sports, because regardless of what coaches say, it is student athlete, not athlete student. even though they treat it like athlete student, um, especially when they're giving you money. Um, but uh, I always I made sure that my grades were first because I knew long after my body gave out or I was done with sports, that my mind would still be there and that my career would still be there. Um, so I dedicated a lot of time to my studies, but because I'm passionate about it, I felt like criminal justice was a lot easier for me. Um, remembering laws and constitution and sometimes intertwined with American history. Um, that's my, my passion. You're like a STEM major, like a math or science. I don't know if I necessarily would have been as engaged or interested because it would have been a lot more cumbersome to remember or study. Whereas for me, it was like, I'm studying because I'm interested in it. It wasn't, I'm studying to pass a grade, if that makes sense.
0: Makes sense, makes sense. So the last question we want to ask you before we transition to with the quickness. And again, we have Ja here, Blanton on us, on the show with us today. We appreciate you hopping on. You play quarterback, captain on track. These are leadership positions, especially talking about quarterback. That's a leadership role on football teams. Captain, that goes without saying obviously your coaches, your teammates view you as a leader to have you as a captain. What makes a good leader in your opinion? And what was your leadership style when you had these roles in sports?
1: Um, I think a good leader is made by someone who is not able to just give directions, but if someone's able to listen, To what the team needs, arcs, orders, and right by example. Um, For me, I wasn't a big rah rah speech, tell you what we're gonna do type of guy. I was more in the background type of guy and always liked to be in the background, Um, but I would show up in ways like, hey, I'm playing like this is how I want you to play. I'm getting it done in the classroom. This is how you should do it. Um, When I had to speak and when I had to do something, I think. People listened more because they realized that I wasn't the big rah rah talker. So I guess that helped in my aspect when I talk. Talk people listen because I wasn't the the biggest hype guy before game eats Um, I think having good grades and then not really getting in trouble. Um, it allowed coaches to see. Um that I had my head on straight. And I think other people knew as well that I had my head on straight for the most part. Um, and that, that's that's pretty much what helped me the most.
0: Yeah, leadership is different styles of leadership. You could be somebody that's vocal, you could be somebody that leads by example. And it seems like, I agree, the people that lead by example, it's not a problem if people wanna you know, be rah, rah, rah. But when you lead by example and you do decide to speak up, I completely agree. You see that people will listen more because it's like, all right, this person doesn't talk a lot. So if they're talking, it's obviously important. So, I, so that's true. That's key. And that's vital with the quickness segment. So we're going to ask you some rapid fire questions, whatever comes to your mind, whatever answer comes first. That's what we're going to go with. First one. What My is internet
1: connection is a little lagging, so it may, I may be a little delayed. Got you.
0: What is... Your go-to meal, what's your favorite thing to eat? Bacon. Bacon, okay. We bacon anything.
1: Bacon anything. It goes with anything. Bacon cereal, bacon salad, bacon, like anything. Anything.
0: <laughs> got you. And we going with pork or turkey
1: bacon? Oh, pork, man. Come on. Come on, man. <laughs> Don't play with me. Come on, man. I, I love turkey bacon, but it, it's got to be pork bacon. Hey, yeah, Peyton, give me your top five sprinters all time. Top 5 Sprinters All Time, Maurice Green, Usain Bolt, Tyson Gay, um, Justin Gatlin, ooh, and either Asafa Powell or Johan Blake. Mm. But, I, you know, because I didn't see Carl Lewis and all them, I it's hard for me to put them up there. So
0: Makes sense. What's the last album you listened to that was actually – fire like not that many skips
1: uh the big day chance the rapper that's the oh. last album that i've never skipped through and through every time i play it
0: gotcha all right so if you could live anywhere in the world where would you live
1: the so the samoan Islands. i just love the culture i just think that that's like the coolest thing ever when they do their chants and you look at people like the rock and the ink and the tattoo i i just think that's the coolest thing ever hundred percent. That, that's where I would go.
0: For sure. That, right now, if you had to choose, who's going to be the NFL MP?
1: I was a short quarterback. I'm. I am partial to short quarterbacks. I am going to say Kyler Murray until I fall off the bandwagon. That is my guy, Kyler, Kyler, Kyler. I. I realistically, it's probably going to either be Tom Brady or um, Aaron Rodgers, but. If I if I have a say, it will be Kyler Murray by the end of the season. That's my dog.
0: Super Bowl winner.
1: Ooh, I I I it it wasn't working out this way, but I really think the Chiefs. They're coming on strong. That defense is making a run like they're like they did in all the years past. And I trust Pat Mahomes to get it together. That's just realistically, I I I can't see anybody beating them when they're on all cylinders.
0: Yeah especially when we don't know what's happening with Lamar Jackson. She's like, that's the number one seed. <laughs> Y'all
1: not winning an Arrowhead playoff time. I, I can't that's, see it. That's my mindset.
0: Because if they get that number one seed and everybody got to go do Arrowhead. Right. Get it.
1: get it. They're going to be swag surfing on the sideline. yeah, it's, <laughs> it's... For sure. And Steve Sagmola is a giant. You know what I'm saying? So the Giants, you know, you got a little something with a little magic. I'm just saying.
0: Right. Speaking of your Giants, do you think if you had to predict today, next season, your quarterback would be Daniel Jones or Russell Wilson?
1: Russell Wilson. Russell, last name Wilson. That's a bad man. I say give up Daniel. Give up both first-round picks. Give up the GM's house. Give up his car. Whatever you got to do to get Russell Wilson. You you do whatever you got to do. If you got to get rid of the whole draft, do it because clearly we can't draft right anyway. So just get rid of the picks, because it's not going to help.
0: Is Joe Judge your coach for the future?
1: I don't know. I feel like his, his mindset and his attitude are beneficial on what they need, but that whole tough guy persona without wins starts to, to to edge in the locker room the opposite way from you so if we don't start having um results and wins i don't think that he's going to last much longer than next year
0: who represents the eastern conference in the nba
1: oh the brooklyn nets that's my team you know what i'm saying like they're from jersey I, I will forever see them as jersey nets i'll never buy the brooklyn uniform that says brooklyn because i refuse but the nets 100 and hopefully kyrie will get the shot because I just. I just need my full team together.
0: Yeah, there's reports that came out in the day before we started the show that the Nets are optimistic that he'll be back this year. If that happens with how KD is playing, wrap it, wrap it up. Cause KD 51 and my man looked at Cam Thomas and was like, yo, this is light for me. So oh man. in that KD in that bag right now. Right. You add Kyrie to the mix, who we all right. know is a world top five. And then
1: James will finally look right.
0: Exactly. It takes a whole load off of James Hart, and he could really be on cruise control with Kyrie back. Hopefully, we get to see it because we all want to see that mix. See them for a full season. Together, I don't see how anybody, and healthy, I don't see how anybody in the East is beating them. Who do you
1: think comes out the Western Conference? Nope, not even a little bit. Golden State Warriors. Uh, it, it, the, Steph is playing out of his mind. Get Clay back at 80%. I mean, with pool emerging, and then you got the center and Wiseman that's going to come back at some point. I just don't see how anybody's going to touch him. I thought it was going to be runaway with the Lakers. Um, but the way that they're looking right now, I. I that's scary. Um, so, a hundred percent, I think the Warriors, because I think the Warriors are gonna get the Suns.
0: Yeah, I'm a Lakers fan. I'm just like I've come to I've come to terms with it. This ain't it's not happening this year. It's not it's not happening this year unless they do something crazy at the trade deadline. It's not happening this year. It, it, it is what it is. Bron, go get the scoring title. We're not. <laughs> it's not happening this year. 80 looks like a shell of himself. Russ, I don't think it's going to work in there. You can't have Braun at 37 being the best player every single night. It's not going to work like that. Golden State. But but he is. I mean, it's Braun. Exactly. Last one before we get you out of here. Five people, dead or alive, that you need to have a meal with.
1: that are alive Ooh. one michael jackson 100 percent um that's my favorite singer of all time um two probably say martin luther king just because i, I want to see what he was thinking about what's happening today and with the movement now and like what advice he would give um three that's a hard one um maybe someone like like Malcolm X, to see the contrary to what like, um, what Martin Luther King said. And because I would love to see what both of their approaches were. Um, four, I would love to talk. This is probably weird and random to people. Andrew Jackson, uh, the seventh president of the United States. I would love to pick his brain because um, he's one of the, I think he might still be the only president to ever be in office without a wife. Um, his wife passed away on the campaign trail and he had the tra- trail of tears and all that kind of stuff. And he was a tyrant. Um, but I'd love to pick his brain to see how that affected him, not having his wife through our office. And FDR, I'd love to talk to him about his mindset of why he thought that it was okay to get rid of the precedent of after two terms walk away, and then they actually had to make the term limit because we don't want a king. I'd love to see his mindset of why he thought that that was okay, because um, I th- think that that paved the way for people like Donald Trump or other people to say like, hey, we should have longer than eight years. So I'd love to pick his brain about that.
0: That's gonna be definitely an interesting table. That's gonna be a lot of wisdom, a lot of knowledge split between there. And that literally, it's just online what you said you had a passion to study for with your major and you saying the history and whatnot. So that completely makes sense. It's a table full of history, table full of knowledge. You walk away from that table being smarter. Okay. So ain't nothing wrong with that for sure. Josh Blinton, bench mob ENT. Y'all know the vibes. If you stay ready, you don't gotta get ready. Bench Mob, we out. Peace.